Hello and welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you from seclusion, in hiding, in quarantine, here at the Sensibly Speaking Studios uh, in Denver. I am joined this week for another Rock'em Sock'em episode of The Three Apostates. I am joined by Jonathan Streeter, a former Mormon, and Lloyd Evans, a former Jehovah's Witness. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey Chris, yes, great I'm to be back. Broadcasting from an from a snow-strewn Croatia. Uh, I don't know what how snowy it is in in uh, Texas, Jonathan. Mm, not snowy at all. We're under lockdown, like it's just soft martial law. Lockdown. So we're all. So what's this lockdown situation? It's it's a shelter-in-place order where you you can't go anywhere. But I work at home anyway, so it's just it's, it's another day. Exactly. Me too. We Are have a you we, in the medical profession, Jonathan. Uh, yeah, I am. But my profession is reading X-rays and CT scans over the internet, which I mm-hmm. do for a hospital in a different part of the country. Oh. Okay. Interesting. So I'm still participating in the healthcare system. Cool. Excellent. We learn something new every day. Well, we have been on, we are now, as of uh, yesterday, I think under statewide lockdown, the city of Denver two days ago did a little lockdown and it was kind of funny. The mayor called it um, in the middle of the afternoon. He said, okay, so tomorrow at five, we're going to be under shut-in order. You can't go out, you know, unless you have essential business or you're taking your dog for a walk. So it's kind of like not really martial law at all, but it's, you know, hey, let's stay inside now. And at first, all of the uh, marijuana dispensaries and alcohol liquor stores were deemed non-essential businesses and they were going to be closing. And, oh, snap. Yeah. And the lines that formed. <laughs> and I was one of the people standing in line. I mean, we rushed out <laughs> to get to stock up, right? And the, so much so, there was so much backlash. There were so many people rushing out and, and causing issues that the mayor, a couple hours later, pulled the plug on, on that and said, no, okay, okay. Pot stores and liquor stores are essential. And all I thought to myself was, uh, you know, prohibition was canceled for a reason. <laughs> so. Here in Texas, we don't got that problem. When they shut us down, first thing they said was that the liquor stores are good. Yeah. Exactly. So I don't know what sort of fun and games you're going to have to look forward to, Lloyd, but that's, uh, that's what's going on on the side of the pond. Well, we don't have pot stores. Um, and it could be argued that the fact that we get by without them would suggest something in the direction of what we're saying about whether they're essential or not. Uh, liquor, you can buy because because Europeans are responsible when it comes to alcohol. We sell them freely at all supermarkets, so we don't necessarily need liquor stores. So That's true. That's true. We just have think we just have a different way of doing things based on moderation, basically. That's true. Well, it's funny, um, though, because wishing, all of this... Not wishing to this... sound superior. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, that part's um, not true, but... <laughs> yeah, the superiority we're, part we're I detected. So accustomed, 
We're so accustomed to Lloyd's superiority that it's yeah. just the air we breathe now. It's that, not that's even... pretty true. It's pretty pretty rarefied air we're breathing when we're in Lloyd's company. So, But it's funny because all of this is fulfilling prophecy. You know, in Mormonism, we've got a huge segment of people that are, you know, last day preppers. People who are, you know, they know that the shit's going to hit the fan right before Christ's second coming. And so that's where governments and the, the secular world is going to crack down and it's going to make life miserable for believers. And so they've got, you know, basements that are stockpiled of food storage, ammunition, weapons, everything that you need to defend uh, yourself, your family yeah. and your faith and oh, the underwear. Damn. <laughs> and the underwear. <laughs> that's the body armor, you know, the faith of God and the shield. And got your, got your tidy whiteies. <laughs> No, they're not tighty whiteys. They are not tight. Believe no, me. Oh, that's true. They're loosey goose. That's true. Loosey, yes. <laughs> I've done extensive research on this um, moment underwear, and it is not tight. That's true. Oh, to be that's a true. fly on the wall when Lloyd is Googling Mormon underwear. What does it look like? Hmm. hmm. Yes. Click. Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, well, that actually does open the, open the segue into what we're probably going to be talking about here through this episode, which is going to be, of course, responses to COVID-19 and this global pandemic. It, you know, it's a serious issue, but we do, need to, we do need to poke some fun because there are people who, some people who take some of this stuff way too seriously. But there's also people who uh, are living some pretty, pretty seriously weird lives because of some of their beliefs with this. Uh, the preppers, I think, being one of them. I mean, I just can't even imagine being in a headspace where you feel like you have to stock up with, you know, boxes and boxes and, you know, crates of ammunition and and uh, oatmeal or whatever. And of course, stashes, yeah, the thing that keeps coming to my paper. mind, the thing that keeps coming to my mind is little Lloyd Evans. You know, there's the story in his book, and he's talked about it a few times where his dad said, okay, this is it. You know, the tribulation is happening and it filled him with terror and he was experiencing that. And the thing is, when you're in these groups, you know, as an adult now, you can feel that terror because, you know, even our prophet is, you know, in the publication that is coming on April 1st, we have a magazine called The Ensign and there's a message from the prophet. And in that, he's talking about all the different things that the church has done that we are doing in preparation for the second coming of Christ. And so the people who in this, you know, doomsday group, when I say doomsday, I mean, the name of the group is Latter-day Saints. It's latter days, the end times, and all of the scary things that are around that, that is in their minds. And it's motivating, I think, a lot of the fear and that has the counter uh, you know, the, the, the other side of that coin is that you rely on the group for your sense of security and salvation. And so True. I don't know if Lloyd, if you're having some deja vu with how things are, are happening or if you've processed that. Yeah, well, look, I think I suppose if we're talking about the way our respective former groups are, are responding to uh, the coronavirus, what we're really talking about, at least as far as I'm concerned, are two things. First of all, what spin are they putting on the outbreak in general and how are they responding to it in practical terms, bearing in mind that when we're talking about religious groups, we're talking about, in many cases, gatherings. And and obviously, um, a virus, a pathogen like um, COVID-19, uh, spreads very easily in, in gatherings. So what measures 
are our respective groups taking to limit people's exposure in that regard and so so it's two different conversations really and when it comes to kind of interpreting or putting a spin on events i mean jehovah's witnesses are right out there with the kind of craziest kind of the end is nigh uh, doomsday preachers there's um uh, video footage already of a governing body member saying that this is not just the last days but the final part of the days or the last day of the last days. oh that's right i remember that it was like a week ago or something wasn't the last of the last of the last days or something the last of the last of the last yeah it's (laughs) like this footage is not going to age well in fact it is going to age well for but for all the wrong reasons i'm I'm treating this like a wine that i can just store and it's just going to mature nicely and then decades in the future we can make Stephen Lett look utterly ridiculous with him, you know, jumping up and down with excitement at the end of the world. There's been other footage of that kind, but what it really amounts to a serious side is capitalizing on a crisis to instill fear because with fear, you can control people. If you can convince people, as Jonathan was alluding to earlier about my experience as a child, if you can convince people that the end is nigh, you can also more easily suggest the antidote. You can you can control them. Um, in terms of the response for places of worship, I've actually been quite encouraged by the approach that's been taken by Watchtower. They have essentially said, whatever the governments tell you to do, you should do. And in my part of the world, the governments have said, no meetings. So that means that my in-laws who live in the same building as me, they're under lockdown and they're actually watching their meetings over the internet. So I'm pleased about that because they are, you could say, prime targets for this virus. They're they're old, they have pre-existing medical conditions, and I'm just glad they're alive. So my my attitude is give I wouldn't say give the organization credit, but acknowledge that things could have been far, far worse in that direction. But certainly them doing the right use the fact that they are, they are still exploiting this crisis as an opportunity to, number one, scare people by saying it's the end of the world. And number two, I've uploaded a video today where they're saying this is also an opportunity for us to display our obedience, to show how obedient we are. So they are totally capitalizing on this as an opportunity to further their narrative. Interesting. I want to ask you guys also, while it's kind of fresh on my mind and in line with that, do you, have either of you noticed, oh, actually, maybe we should start with this first. What's been the Mormon response to this, John? Well, it's interesting because it contrasts a little bit with what Lloyd just talked about. I think in Mormonism, the question of whether you can meet together or not um, has empowered the prophet actually to refer to things that he's done in the past several years and say it was all leading up to this. So Mormonism um, has started a new home-based curriculum like a couple years ago with the new prophet where um, parents are taking a larger role in teaching their children religious subjects at home through the use of a standardized curriculum. They shorten the church hour with the idea that parents should replace the hour that went away at church with home study. On top of that, they've built a robust structure for remote 
education as part of BYU because they've empowered stay-at-home moms and other people to get their degrees online. Well, that same infrastructure could be used to implement a school or seminary system. And all of this has been in the pipes for several years. And so now people are saying what a blessing it is, what a prophetic statement of the reality of the gospel it is that the man who was the prophet at the time when we have a worldwide pandemic happens to be a doctor and that he's prepared us for this time. And so um, it's proof that his prophecies are legitimate and that the gospel is true. Um, never mind, you know, that you, you latch onto those kind of target, those, you know, those knocking it out of the ballpark. Yes, but you don't pay attention to the fact that a lot of our missionaries were caught in countries that were hit hard by it and they were put in harm's way. Early on in the lockdown, when governments were saying everyone needs to stay at home, then the mission presidents were saying, this is great. We can send our missionaries out to tract and people are going to be home. And on top of that, we don't need to worry. And we have people sending screenshots of emails that they got from the mission presidents, who are the people in charge of the missionaries in parts of the, of the world, saying, don't worry about your kids. They're tracting. But COVID-19 really only affects old people. Now, that is a, a woeful misunderstanding of the nature of this um, epidemic, because what they're basically saying is, number one, your kids aren't at risk. And that's false. There is a chance that uh, younger people will get a, even a severe form of the disease and die. And number two, the fact that it's so contagious because asymptomatic people can act as vectors to other vulnerable people means that they're sending missionaries out who could potentially infect vulnerable people who are trying to shelter at home. So it's just all around a bad thing. And so that is a clearly a missed prophetic point because the prophet does have the power and could just, he just has to write a memo. All mission presidents keep all missionaries cloistered and then it's done. Well, it took them a long time to speed up on that. Now, on top of that, we have temples throughout the world. And when you're a senior citizen in Mormonism, one of the ways that you give service is by going to the temple and acting as a temple worker. And so you're interacting then with people who are all out in the community and you are a vulnerable patient. You know, if you get the disease, then there's a much higher risk that you're going to suffer a, a morbidity as a result of it. Well, they didn't close the temples down until just a few days ago when it became clear that one of the people who contracted the virus and had a, a bad outcome in Utah was a temple worker. And it later came out that he had gotten it on a, um, a cruise. But you have to understand that when Mormons go to the temple, there is a great deal of physical contact. You, at one point in the temple, you're standing in front of a veil and uh, the person on the other side is putting his arms on your shoulder. You're giving handshakes um, and your, your face is really close as you're doing. I mean, there's, it's a complete exposure risk. And so, you know, we have now the very ironic situation in Utah where all of the temples are closed and yet all of the liquor stores are open. But um, that is, that's a, a beautiful irony that, that they're dealing with there. But, um, you know, other aspects of this that continue to be harmful are, you know, the prophet, to the church's credit, worldwide shut down all meetings very early in the, in the time frame of where governments and, and other organizations were considering whether or not to do it. The prophet just like, that's it, worldwide, no Mormon sacrament meetings. And sacrament meeting is the every Sunday meeting. And start to do everything remotely. And, and leaders have done that. But one of the things that they've done is said, well, you know, they haven't been clear in their directions to people having home church, not to have a bunch of people over to their house so that they can partake of the sacrament. On top of that, we're seeing mixing, mixed results in terms of how empowered even a single family is to practice their religion. 
in that you have to get permission in some cases from the bishop in order to administer the sacrament. And that's, I know it's rubbing some people the wrong way because in Mormonism, you're like, well, I have stewardship over my family. If we're just doing a family thing here, I should be able to do this if I want to. And that's more kind of local control oriented stuff than this wider pandemic thing. But these are just all aspects of the religion which are coming out that maybe would not have, we wouldn't have seen if it wasn't for this pandemic. Um, so you also have um, the, we have the footage of Mormon families going to yeah. the uh, Salt Lake City airport to welcome uh, uh, their sons back from missionary work. And they were all crowded in the underground car park together. Yeah, this was something where, you know, it took a while for the leaders of the church to get to the point where they realized, okay, we need to get missionaries out. In some cases, like in the Philippines, the government actually said, all these foreign missionaries need to get out. You're at risk. We don't want anything to do with you. And so all the Philippine missionaries were out. But then the church finally said, okay, we're going to bring back a significant number of our missionaries, and we're not going to bring new missionaries into our training centers. And in doing that, there were planes full of missionaries flying into Salt Lake City. And while everyone was already deep in the flatten the curve, social distancing mindset, every, all the family members gathered to the airport to do this. Now, if you think about it, if, if the church was going to responsibly do this, then you're bringing people from all other parts of the world where there are varying levels of the disease you're bringing them here. We've got a bunch of empty chapels. What they should have done is said, no interaction with families. You're going to go from the airport to a chapel, and there you are going to stay for two weeks. If anyone mm. develops fever, if anyone develops any issues or anything, then we'll refer you to the medical authorities. But after two weeks, if there are no symptoms, then we'll allow the families to come get you in an orderly way that respects the social distancing measures that our wider society is adopting. But that did not happen. Now, is it the prophet is too busy? It doesn't have the, I think a lot of it is just that there's not a lot of foresight. And frankly, the church isn't the only organization that is not responding perfectly to this event. Um, everybody's struggling to know what to do. And so I do cut them a little bit of slack. It's really when the direct advice of the leaders contradicts what we're hearing from secular authorities that I, I rankle because he's allowing his position to override the best advice from the doctors and, and researchers around the world. But when in the absence of any direct command from the leader, people are just doing what they can. I think that we're all human and that's kind of human. nature. Sure. Well, let me just pipe in on Scientology just to get this out there that the, it is never, it, you mentioned a few minutes ago how this crisis is sort of highlighting things that you wouldn't necessarily normally see or here. And in this case, uh, what we're, it's, it's more highlighting what you're not seeing or hearing coming out of the Church of Scientology, which is you are not hearing anything like comply with what the government's telling you to do. Really? Oh, no. Why I, is that? Because you would think that Scientology would be a little bit less hindered by sort of end times thinking. Mm -hmm. Than well, say Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, well, let me explain because actually, what's coming out now is the actual attitude of Scientologists, especially at the senior levels. Because just a couple days ago, David Miscavige issued a missive. He issued a new bulletin describing this, and he called it "current events." And um, and he and it was just dripping with contempt for the governments and for this entire situation and for the media response and for everything. And he didn't have to say, these guys don't know what they're talking about. What he said was, um, 
I should probably pull up the quote, but it was something along the lines of right now, everybody is drowning in hysteria. And the only thing you can be sure of is that it is hysteria. Oh, good grief. Right. And so the whole message is everybody's gone fucking crazy. Hmm. We're the only sane ones. We know what to do. We've cleaned all of our churches with the most amazing cleaning material that exists. We've dug into, you know, do deep research on this, and all of our churches are spotless. And we've disinfected our e-meters. Yeah, exactly. Now, I will grant that from my own experience in the Sea Org that the Church of Scientology is fanatical about cleaning. I will say that. But what that misses, of course, is that this isn't about cleaning your spaces and you're done. It's not a one-and-done solution. This thing about no gatherings is for real. And the fact that people are walking around for two weeks before they start exhibiting symptoms or a week or you know, up to a two weeks is completely ignored in Miscavige's bulletin. And they are still actively encouraging to this day that people come into the churches of Scientology, do their classes, do their coursework, do their auditing, bring the kids, we'll watch your kids. If the if, if kid's bored at home, bring them down to the church. We've got classes, we've got activities. So they are running completely counter to all the messaging. And the reason I'm highlighting this is because it shows up the real attitude of Scientologists toward the rest of the world. And that attitude is an attitude of contempt. And it's going to get some of these guys killed. There's no question about it. Statistically speaking, that's how it's going to go down. Not because I want it to be that way. It's very clear in the attitude that it's going to be that way. So mm. that's kind of what's happening with the Scientology world. And it really shows that up in a way that we haven't particularly seen so clearly before. Well, th this is why I've been so keen, even at the risk of, uh, of you know, people being mad at me who who expect me to criticize everything about Jehovah's Witnesses. This is why I've been so keen to, again, give credit where credit's due, because I could so easily imagine a leadership that encourages people to die rather than accept blood transfusions, simply saying, well, we need to stand still and see the salvation of God. No one's going to die as a result of, of heeding God's commands to gather together and go to me. I can easily imagine them sinking to that sort of rhetoric and as someone who you know i'm literally living in the same building as people who would follow those commands um i'm just relieved that they're going to live uh, or that there's a greatly reduced chance of them dying and it amazes me that arguably the one organization out of the three organizations we're talking about that you would expect to be unshackled by this doomsday paranoia about quote-unquote worldly governments is actually behaving in the way that I would expect my religion to behave. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is, this. you know, of course, I have to come out with the mantra that Scientology is always worse than you think. Yeah. It continually well, you know, proves itself to be true. And this is, uh, this is just another instance of that. Well, while we're all criticizing the church and saying that these things are just, you know, it's just coincidence that there's a pandemic, pandemics come on a cyclic level. It's about, you know, every 100 years or so. This is just, we've been through it before, we've been through it. And suddenly, an earthquake in Salt Lake City, fulfilling prophecy. That, and not only that, but the earthquake, you know, 
jostles the angel Moroni, the golden angel Moroni, the message to the world so that his trumpet drops. And what that means, it could mean that God is chastising the Mormon prophets Calm for down, betraying Jonathan. I'm guessing, <laughs> or, I'm guessing exhausted just hold on. I know, right? <laughs> Jesus. Or it could mean that the, the angel Gabriel has finished his message and is saying that the time for warning is over and so the trumpet has fallen. It's yes. like that scene from Anchorman where he says that, that es- escalated quickly. Yeah, know. I'll say. Damn, uh, Rick boy. killed a guy, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I got to get me one of those. That is badass, dude. You are so... <laughs> Anyway, so like we're like, what? What is it? Ten times, and they're like, no, 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 no. You have to remember the Wasatch Mountains that are right there in Salt Lake. You join us as Jonathan is having a nervous breakdown. I'm telling you, will be resumed later on. That that that's it's normal. Earth, the Salt Lake has received. You know, they've gotten like 200 earthquakes in the last year. You just don't feel most of them. This just happened to be a little bit more bumpy, and then there's aftershocks, and it's just coincidence that it's happening at the same time. And then. In Serbia, Bosnia, wherever Lloyd is, there's the earthquake. All, all I'm going to say is, Jehovah, you missed. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. An, well, hour, an hour south and you would have got me, but, you know, come on. You, you yeah. can do better. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say if there's an earthquake here in Denver, I mean, that earthquakes just don't happen here. The only, <laughs> the only reason we've got any seismic activity at all is because of fucking fracking, but... Uh, I, I, if, it, if there's an earthquake that happens here that registers above five, I will take it as a sign from God that he is displeased with us and the three apostates. But which God? Cthulhu? Oh, uh, oh, the general, uh, you know, I don't know. Somehow, <laughs> we, somehow, we, somehow we pissed her off. Yeah, that, that's, the, the um, oh, who was the one who wrote that thing? The um, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. What is that, Jonathan mm. Edwards? Who wrote that? Anyway. Know, some ca- the Calvinist God. Yeah, that guy. That that that, that the pissed off God. Yeah. The one who to, to take no prisoners. I'm gonna fuck up your shit for the rest of eternity. God. That guy. Yeah. Yeah. What have you guys detected in your communities or your ex communities? I guess. Um, is there any kind of glee coming out over this? Any kind of finally the end times is here? Sort of. You know, I mean, I know maybe some of the preppers might might possibly go in their direction, but then at the same time, you'd think if you're a prepper, you'd be like guarding against that. Like you don't, you want to survive as long as possible. Whereas I think these guys would be more like, take me now. I don't know. I I don't really get the mindset of that. It's not something. Oh, definitely. I, it's it's definitely people jumping up and down, but they did the yeah. same thing at 9-11. I can remember... Hmm. Um, when 9-11 happened, there were people outside or supposedly people outside our local Kingdom Hall in the UK uh, who turned up wondering when the next meeting was because they felt, or this this at least was the rumor in our congregation that people had turned up at the time uh, that the planes were going into the buildings to find out when the next meeting was. Um, look, there's bound to be that sort of excitement, but the simple truth is that these things come and go. I mean, the um, 1918 uh, Spanish flu killed is, is thought to have killed as many as 100,000 people. Um, uh, but it, it, we got past it. 
<laughs> we're, we're on the other side of it by a hundred years and things improved. So will coronavirus um, change things forever? Quite possibly. It's quite possible that there are things happening now to society as a result of this pandemic where things will never quite be the same again. But what you can put your money on is for science to come to the rescue. And, and once that happens, then we'll be able to point to all of this hysteria and say, how foolish, doesn't that just highlight the whole nature of these groups that they prey on fear and terror and uncertainty in order to get their message across? Yeah, yeah. What about, what about in your quarter, John? Uh, I think it's it's measured. There's um, the we have the prophet himself who's who's re reflecting in you know. I like the way you refer to him as a prophet. That tells us an awful lot. Well, you know, the Mormons are very keen on labels and names, and they're like, you know, we're going to respect your name and label, but you need to respect ours. And I still call them Mormons, but you know, so I'm. But anyway, so the prophet is you know, coming out with an, a document that basically assures people, this is, you know, what we've been waiting for. This is, these are, you know, the, and he, he, he couches it in vague enough terms where he's not saying that the end is nigh, but he's saying these are the types of events that would, would, we would expect at that. So he's got perfect plausible deniability for the, you know, that it's not really going to happen. But at the same time, you've got the preppers, you've got people, you know, the offshoots, the people who believe that they've had their own revelations coming out of the woodwork saying that, you know, we prophesy. And ironically, the day before the earthquake, one of these people who's like a prophetess, Julie Rowe, on a YouTube video prophesied that there would be an earthquake. And then there was an earthquake. And so her, her followers are very validated by that. But um, it, it's just, it's one of these things, I think, as Lloyd mentioned, uh, you, you would have heard the same types of warnings and the end is nigh. These are the signs of the end times around the 1918 Spanish flu. You would have heard it around. I predict there will be a thunderstorm. Oh, there's a thunderstorm. We live on a planet with a moving crust and a molten core. Of exactly. Earthquake somewhere. Right. And you can make that prediction and then anywhere in the next six months, it's going to happen. And then you could say, mm. see, that fulfilled my prediction. And so um, it's, it's just, you know, these are the games that get played, but they have a powerful influence over the mind of people who are susceptible to them, who don't know that this is how the game is played. And, and it binds them closer to the leaders uh, or to their particular offshoot profit. And um, I don't know, you know, the, there's the counterbalance of this is that part of the way that cults capture people is they keep them in the fellowship. They keep them going to meetings. You have these, this accountability of knowing you're going to be at a meeting, you're going to interact with other people. And now that that is kind of blasted apart, I wonder if we're going to see some changes in the, the degree of control that the groups have over their people. Um, you know, certainly I, part of the insidious nature that I commented on and felt was a part of Mormonism moving to a home-centered church was that it's very easy for you to demonize leaders of the church. Once you start to wake up, you can say they're lying to me. You know, it's, 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 if, if all of the indoctrination is done specifically by your parents and that the, the falsehoods and everything is done by your parents, then it adds a dimension to your liberation that um, I think is a little bit more complicated and maybe makes it harder to extract yourself because of those connections. But I wonder if, if, if that was their original intention or the side effect, if, if it's going to backfire a little bit, because we're seeing people 
post humorous memes about, okay, we had home church and my 12 year old says they want to go inactive or something like that, you know, just where they're seeing people reject home church even. So it's, it's kind of fun just to see how it's playing out. And you're going to have a version of home church regardless, aren't you? You're always going to have child indoctrination in a group like Mormons or or a group like Jehovah's Witnesses. What matters Mm -hmm. is how do people respond to being quote unquote isolated from places of worship when they are adults. And I'm fascinated to see if Jehovah's Witnesses goes in the direction of fewer meetings, fewer large gatherings, whether this has an impact on people's faith, because it certainly had an impact on my faith. When I moved out to Croatia, I could no longer, under, no longer understand what was being said at the meetings. All of a sudden, I start asking myself, hang on, what do I actually believe? Oh, it turns out I'm not really a Jehovah's Witness, because I have all these areas of disagreement. I'm interested in knowing, because you hinted at long-term effects, I'm interested in knowing whether this kind of slide into doing things at home has a pronounced impact on people's faith once they just lose that element of we're all in this kind of herd mentality of whatever's said at the kingdom hall we're going to go along with i I I think there's going to be a change i think Mm. so too i think we're going to see i'm i'm sort of thinking you know with the meta picture here and i'm thinking that I was thinking as of a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, I started thinking about like, okay, we're going to see an uptick in in religion. We're going to see an uptick in people, you know, saying faithful type statements and looking to God and stuff for comfort, you know, maybe some, you know, apostates going back in that direction. But I thought at the same time, over time with this, with the isolation that's, that's coming in, exactly what Lloyd was just saying, I think uh, this is what Miscavige might be actually a little bit scared about, is if he can't have his semi, you know, every couple months, he goes out on a stage and is briefing these people for hours at a time. And if he doesn't have... Oh, he um, won't want these people at home. Yeah, no, he'll want no. them in front of him That's as, right. as, a, as an admiring audience. And if and, they're and, in front of him, he'll be panicking. That's right. And to keep the indoctrination going to keep the indoctrination mm. strong because I'm positive that, you know, with, with Scientology, you need it. You need, it's a fix. You need it continually mm. fixing you. And the reason I say that is because the materials, even studying in a classroom, but more dramatically in their one-on-one counseling sessions, you get a euphoric rush from the experience. So you're not done until you do. So you have to do these, you know, these auditing sessions result in people walking around in a disassociated state. They're like, oh, I'm outside my body. Everything's so wonderful. I can see the world so clearly. And it's very, it's, it's like, you know, psychologically, that's called disassociation. And that's where their heads are at. And, but it becomes addictive is what I'm saying. And if you're denied that continuing fix, it starts wearing off. I've seen it, seen it happen over and over and over again with Scientologists. So I think that's one of the things Miscavige is most terrified about and might be a little bit hysterical about, you know, with this. Is, is I trying think to he's that probably out. more switched on in that regard than the Jehovah's Witness leadership. I think the Jehovah's Witness leadership are probably more naive in assuming that people can hold on to their faith, even if they are at home and even if they're no longer part of this 
herd mentality. And I'm interested to see how this naivety, even though I'm glad that they're making that they're reaching that conclusion, I'm interested to see how that kind of comes around and bites them in the ass. I'm also fascinated to see whether they kind of learn, because we've had footage of um, witnesses. I think they showed footage from Korea of them conducting Kingdom Hall meetings over Zoom. So you had all the little, you know, screens set up and like like 50 people on it. I didn't even know you could have that many people on a Zoom call, but there they all were having this meeting. And I'm thinking if you're if you're Jehovah's Witnesses and you're already kind of set on a quote-unquote master plan of liquidating properties by selling off kingdom halls um, and taking the proceeds without giving any back to the ordinary um, Jehovah's Witnesses who paid for the kingdom halls in the first place, and all of a sudden you're, you're seeing an example of how Witnesses can actually carry on worshipping without being in a kingdom hall, there would be a temptation there for uh, an organization like Jehovah's Witnesses that's increasingly imperiled financially to think, why don't we just try to, to do this? Let, let's, let's go down this route of, of making it more of a personal thing where people worship from home. And again, I don't see that ending well for them. It's one of those things where we're going to have to wait and see what pans out. But it goes back to what I was saying earlier. One way or the other, life is going to be completely different after coronavirus and I'm, I'm fascinated to see how that manifests itself in religion as a whole but certainly in, in each of the groups that we represent yeah I mean we have the the contrast between a few years ago the church had and a period of time where they actually issued a statement preventing people from meeting in their home with small groups for scripture study uh, because that was becoming in vogue. And what happens when people meet together without the hierarchy of an authority figure to tell them which thoughts are appropriate, which uh, interpretations are appropriate, is that people go off and start thinking for themselves. And it it unravels the control that the group has on them. Now, in some cases, that may be towards liberation from indoctrination. But in other cases, it's going down an even more dangerous fundamentalist path that ends up with offshoots and other prophets. But in either way, the church has lost control over those people. And so that's the move they made at that time. And contrast this now with everybody having their own form of independent study. Now, the church has kind of tried to control it by having a curriculum saying you have to follow this curriculum. But to the extent that we on this program and in our various channels have talked about how a high number of meetings, high demand of time in the group among people, how that is effective in indoctrination. When you take that out, then that weakens that level of power that they have over it. And so um, we'll see where that goes. It's not going to go away. They still have ways of controlling people, but it's at least one space that people have to step back and take a moment and breathe and reconsider some of the things that they've been told to accept without question. Yeah, interesting. I, it's highlighting to me even more. One, I had no idea about any of that, Sean. I find that fascinating that Mormons were putting the kibosh on, on people getting together and going over scriptures. That's, that's amazing to me that that happens and that's still going on and that they've provided some rigid curriculum. Well, if you're going to meet at home, then do this. I mean, wow, talk about some thought control. Well, yeah, that letter was years ago before the, the level of interactivity that we have with the internet. And I think the church did not have any set curriculum back then, so there was no way for them to control it. But now that they have the curriculum in place, it's a little bit safer. 
Right. Well, it also highlights another real big difference between our groups for me, which is that Mormons, you know, JWs, churches in general are all about large gatherings and Scientology really isn't. You know, they have a Sunday service that's a bit of a joke and and it's really an afterthought. Scientology is about one-on-one the auditing. That's the main line activity of Scientology is the auditing. And hmm. Um, that's the money maker. That's where they make their money. And let's keep in mind that, that, that my, that my, my bottom line statement about Scientology is that at the end of the day, it's a money making scam. It's it, it, the religious aspects of it are all window dressing. So to that degree, this is also really highlighting that and why David Miscavige would be so desperate to keep people coming in because you cannot ever, and there will never be a way for there to be auditing done over the internet <laughs> it doesn't it just doesn't work that way you got to be holding those cans yeah. and you, you got to be can, in a room they can, you know they can give you the the <laughs> device with the cans and then connect it to the internet and then have the reading go to a central location you should develop this and sell it to the church uh-huh because you can yeah. make licensing uh-huh. money off of that <laughs> yeah. you have like you could have like a, a an et kind of plastic tunnel situation where the cans are on one side of the of the plastic and the machine itself is on the other side seriously chris get on it <laughs> i'm all over it yeah money, there's money to be made here yeah well i just just pointing out there that uh the money <laughs> is in the buildings and yeah that's that's how scientology's yeah. operating but it but it is it's a it's a it's a crucial difference in our groups it's not just about mm. meeting it's about this purposeful activity of auditing cuz that's where the big euphoria is is well, kicked in you know on that same note you know we're seeing people sending screenshots of email messages being sent from bishops to the congregation saying number 1 we know that we have meetings and that you're all doing home church, but tithing has not been suspended. Oh, you are still right. expected to pay tithing, and you can do that over the internet digitally. You don't have to hand anything in. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, there was this big controversy in the past year about how the church was disclosed through a leak to have over $120 billion that it said it was reserving for you know, a rainy day. Well, I don't know how it gets any rainier a than a worldwide day. pandemic. Right. <laughs> you know, even Time if we look at up. how, <laughs> even if mm. we look at how the stock market has tanked, it's lost like 30, 40% of its value. Oh, okay. So now the church only has $70 billion. Well, that's still a lot of things that it can do. Um, we're also seeing messages come out. I had somebody send me a screen capture from a video conference one of the leaders had in South America where they're still telling members, we need everybody to increase their fast offering payments. And fast offering is above and beyond tithing and it's what you give to help people who are in dire straits in your local area. Because the church never uses its own funds for that type of stuff, it uses your local funds. If somebody in your, in your ward uh, can't pay their bills, then they're going to draw on the fast offering fund. They're not going up to Salt Lake City and saying, give me a little bit of that billion, uh, because that billion has not been touched. That was part of the disclosure. Now, I expect that just to kind of soften the blow, the church is going to at some point now publish that, hey, we took a couple billion and we bought a bunch of masks and we did that. But even then, we're in a state in this world where because it's a worldwide pandemic and resources for the medical profession are running so low, you can't simply hold out dollars 
and materialize ventilators. And so right. it, it's, it's almost to the point where that's not even going to be effective. But uh, we'll see, you know, if the prophet really was preparing for a rainy day, then not only did they save up billions of dollars, but they also saved up a whole bunch of medical supplies and maybe they can tap into those. We know that those exist to some extent because when this all started, the church sent several thousand dollars worth of pallets of P95 masks, which are the, the type of masks that, that health professionals really need to China to support the people that were there. And um, so we'll see how it goes. But like you said, the dollar is still in demand from among the members, from the league, and whether that's for tithing or helping each other out, the, the members themselves are expected to give and give and give. Wow. Hmm. What's, uh, what's happening on your end with that? Is that how, how is money run in the JWs? It's, well, it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about Kingdom Halls. Um, mm. The problem that you have when you have an organization that is against higher education <laughs> hmm. is that everyone's broke. And, right. and this really goes to what I keep saying about the Jehovah's Witness leadership is even though there may be an element of cynicism in, in what they're doing, they're all, they're first and foremost deluded. They really do by their, their own BS. And, and that manifests itself in this idea that it would be wrong to go to higher, go through higher education when you should instead be seeking first the kingdom and uh, spreading the good news just before Armageddon comes. And so that leaves you with is a pool of, of, eight and a half million worshippers who are mostly broke, who are mostly, the, the, the cliche is that if you meet a Jehovah's Witness man, more than likely he's a window cleaner. And that was the case when I was in, in the UK. A lot of my friends who were my age were window cleaners. It was, it was menial work, that, any kind of work that you could get that would allow you to first and foremost pioneer or in some other way uh, serve the organization and you didn't really have a choice anyway because you didn't have a university or college education so um, but that hasn't stopped the organization from asking for donations and they famously did that in May 2015 when they went on JW Broadcasting and said actually we have more money going out um, at this time sorry less we don't have enough money coming in to meet the uh, expenditure that we're planning for. So we need you to pick up the slack. Um, and they had a brief spike in donations, but nowhere near enough to um, make a huge difference. And I think they learned their lessons from that in that it cost them more in PR and bad optics to be holding their hands on JW Broadcasting than it was worth than what they got back in donations as a result of doing that. So they turned their attention elsewhere into this huge scam, which is to basically sell kingdom halls that witnesses have been investing in for generations. So a kingdom hall is built by the local witnesses. It's funded by the local witnesses in terms of maintenance. But when Watchtower decides to sell it, rather than the money going back to the witnesses locally who've invested in it, the money all goes to Watchtower. So what they've decided to do wherever possible is sell the kingdom halls and, um, and merge congregations so that a single kingdom hall, rather than, being, well, rather than having one congregation meeting at the kingdom hall, 
there are now three congregations meeting at a single kingdom hall. So rather than uh, one congregation meeting on, let's say, a Thursday night and then a Sunday, you'll have uh, uh, three congregations meeting at various points during the week. And then on a Sunday, they'll all cram in at various, they'll stagger the meeting time. So you'll have one meeting in the morning, one in the afternoon and one in the evening on a Sunday. So they're, they're maximizing their buildings, but it's all really a scam so that they can liquidate real estate and bring in money quickly, which is what I was referring to earlier. So I haven't yet seen them putting out a call for donations in relation to the coronavirus. The attitude has always been, you should, you should donate. You should donate whatever money you have, just give it to us. Um, but I, I see this becoming increasingly a problem. To, an, to a degree, they are weighed down by the legacy inherited from earlier leaders who said the minute we have to start asking for money is, is the moment that we need to end publication of the Watchtower magazine because our, our organization will always be bankrolled by, by God. So they're kind of to some degree by their predecessors but that hasn't stopped them finding ingenious ways of freeing up money. Just one more example before I quit. Um, you remember the recent uh, hurricane that ravaged Puerto Rico. They went in there and they rebuilt, uh, they made a big thing of the fact that they'd rebuilt 100 kingdom halls that had been destroyed in Puerto Rico as a result of the hurricane. What they didn't tell you is that 50 of those kingdom halls almost immediately ended up being on on real on real estate agent website listings wow. so they they literally had witnesses from the mainland united states come to puerto rico build kingdom halls that they could then almost immediately sell on to free up cash for the organization so that's the sort of shady stuff they're up to for jehovah's witnesses wow interesting because that also tells me man when you're when you're selling off real estate, that's 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 not a good place no. for you to be organizationally. It's dire. Yeah, it, uh, Mormons are sitting pretty with their billions. Yeah, Scientology. We're, we're buying up real estate. Are we <laughs> yeah. talking about? We're buying up apartment buildings. We're building malls. You guys, you guys are high and dry in the money stakes. Scientology, as you said, Chris, is basically a money-making scam. Yep. Jehovah's Witnesses have somewhat of an identity crisis because they are wedded to the idea. Well, basically, they are set up for Armageddon to have come a few decades ago. That's their problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> if right. Armageddon had come when it was bloody well supposed to have come, <laughs> they wouldn't be in this mess right now. So they are just in basically damage control mode at this point and trying to find money wherever they can wow god's not running on their schedule that's uh come on man exactly. let's go to god taka 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 <laughs> man let's get out let's get on with this end of days thing come on indeed where are the fireballs yeah right where's the meteors god damn it i want this pit opening up and the beast coming out and the tentacles and i want i want all of it man let's go <laughs> Damn, where's the dragons and the You're armies and the me. undead? <laughs> oh, good grief. I broken. now reveal myself to be. <laughs> Stop it. I'm telling you, any of my viewers who are watching this will be well and truly triggered. Yeah, I know, right? Jonathan's being possessed. Oh, my God, something. man. Jesus. 
<laughs> All right, guys. Well, listen, it's uh, this has been an interesting this has been an interesting review here, an interesting talk. Um, are there any other before we wrap up here? Are there any other of these uh, specific COVID nineteen points you think we might have missed or 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 glossed over here? Um, I, I, can I just do a quick plug? Um, yeah, please. Because I don't know how you guys feel, but uh, my initial thought when everything went into lockdown was, oh, I'll take the opportunity to have a break. But then, then my attitude became, well, hang on, I've got a studio downstairs. There's now lots of people in self-isolation twiddling their thumbs, you know, wondering what the hell they're supposed to do with all this time. Why don't I try and entertain? So I'm doing... Uh, every morning, my local time, I'm doing um, a 90-minute live stream with various members of the JW survey team. And we're doing it on Facebook because I'm currently prohibited from live streaming on YouTube. But I'm uploading the live stream to my YouTube channel. So if anyone is in need of some mindless 90 minutes of mindless banter per day, head on over to the John Cedars channel. Awesome. And, uh, and I'll put links, as usual, to you guys' YouTube mm. channels in the description section to this video. John, how are you uh, charting the course through that, this thing? Uh, I got a house full of kids, so I'm just trying to make sure we all stay sane. On top of that, <laughs> I am still a healthcare provider of sorts, and so yeah. I do my best to try to provide the support to my frontline workers, the people in the emergency department, the hospitalists who are still being called in to take care of patients and put themselves at risk. I try to make sure that I'm staying on top of the latest developments and the news in the world of radiology so that we can provide the imaging support that we need for them. But uh, certainly encourage everybody who's listening here, you know, despite the, the end times things then, and rhetoric that we have to dig through, there are still important things that we all need to be aware of and stay informed so that we can act on best practices and recommendations from authorities who actually do have a legitimate position to decree things about how we can help reduce the risk to ourselves, to our communities, to our loved ones. Just pay attention to what those authorities, the Center for Disease Control, the World Health Organization, those sorts of things so that you can make choices based on legitimate authoritative information and not religious decree um, and sharing that knowledge with other people and empowering other people to do that themselves is very important. And, and Jonathan, you know, whether you're working at home or in the ER, you're part, you're a healthcare worker, you're, you're providing a very useful service to your community. And I take my hat off to you. Keep up the excellent work. Yeah. Big well, time, you. man. Me too. Big kudos on that. We need all the help we can get in that that direction. Uh, on that note, I've been trying to spread truth or, you know, send people to the right places and, you know, please ignore the hype, please ignore the, the nonsense, and please, please, please ignore pretty much everything Donald Trump's saying because <laughs> he's just not contributing to this at all. <laughs> Uh, and I don't say that out of politics. I say that out of a love of science and truth and the fact that the scientists, if he gets on board with what the scientists are saying, I'll give him kudos because I want to give credit where credit's due. Um, you know, at least he's you know. kept Dr. Fauci by his side, his side yes. there and allowed Dr. Fauci. I think if you listen to the various things that he's said, he's, he's got a very um, evidence-based approach to everything. He's had to check on some of the statements that Donald Trump has made about certain therapies and tried to keep everything in a much more scientific, medically oriented perspective. 
we've seen a lot of people retreat to some of the mindset that desperation gives you, whereas you just want some cure. You want something that can give you a measure of safety or healing. And that's a dangerous road to go down. If, if we abandon everything, all the principles, everything that we learned about how to safely and effectively conduct medical research and do things, then we've gone back in time, regardless of what type of disease we're facing. And he's done a great job of making sure that we take things uh, in a very measured approach. There's a Facebook conversation that um, Dr. Fauci held with Mark Zuckerberg that you can find on Facebook. That's actually a really good discussion about the principles of how as a public we're responding to it. So if you could share that and take a look at that and some of his comments uh, in the presidential news conferences um, are definitely worth paying attention to. You know, I will comment. I was, uh, when I saw that, when I saw Zuckerberg and Fauci in a video, I thought to myself, oh, you got to be kidding me. But the more I've been watching um, Facebook over the last, I'd say two, three months, I've, I've noticed a change. There is better fact checking. There are more recommendations for factual information. There's debunking articles posted immediately when po people are posting bullshit. I've, I've seen an increase in that, at least on my Facebook experience. And I'm on there pretty much every day for at least a little bit of time. So good kudos to him and good on him for, for putting Fauci's uh, statements out there because we, we really need that kind of measured, uh, steady, eddy, you know, here's what we're doing and here's where things are at. And no, it's not great, but I'm going to give it to you all because you deserve to know the truth. I, I love that about that guy, and uh, and I like that that's getting out there. So, anyway, just a little credit where credit is due, sort of thing, because I'm I'm the first person in line to rag on Facebook every chance I get. So I like to I like to give a little kudos too, you know. The thing I don't like about Facebook is you have one or two people who do these appalling dad jokes, <laughs> and it makes me want to throw my MacBook out of the nearest window and then jump out of the window after my MacBook. Um, uh, yeah, what are you gonna do? Horrible. Spoken horrible. Spoken like somebody who has yet to really reject his role as a dad. You gotta, you're, you're gonna, there's going to be a change of heart at some point, and Lloyd Evans is going to have this glorious awakening where the heavens are going to open, and he's going to be yes, yeah, my right to give the dad joke. Your daughter's going to be like, Dad, I'm hungry. I would fancy a snack, and you'd be, Hello, hungry. I'm dad, and that will be the moment. <laughs> It's, it'll come, Lloyd. It'll come. It's true. <laughs> and you will be I really thankful. I really, really hope not. <laughs> em embrace it. It is so fun. That's right. Embrace the dad I'll, jokes. I'll quite happily st stay in self-isolation if you're being infected <laughs> with your dad joke. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right, folks. Hey, uh, sorry for the video interruptions. The Facebook, the, the sorry, the internet is a bit uh, clogged these days. And so I think the audio has come through quite well, despite the, the videos, uh, hicks and, and hiccups and whatever. But, um, you know, thanks for coming around. Thanks for watching. Please leave questions, comments, feedback. I want to hear all of it. I want to see all of it. Um, however, I don't want to be insulted and I don't think my guests do either. So let's be respectful in the comment section. Generally speaking, uh, my channel is pretty good at that. I hardly have to moderate anything out of existence, but I like putting these little plugs in. Thanks for uh, talking, guys. Thanks for doing this. Take care. Stay safe. Stay alive. Stay optimistic. That's the spirit. It's been lots of fun. It's great to be back. I'll see you later. Oh, wow.
Okay. Bye-bye, folks. <laughs>